Today we're talking about censorship. Uh, with me, as always, is a man who never wants to be censored or never should be censored. The dog. How's it going, homie? Hey, how's it fucking going, man? <laughs> Are we going to use this podcast since we're talking about censorship today? Are we going to use this podcast to just go like way over the top and just swear more than usual? I think we should. Uh, well, no, I don't think we ever really hold back. I mean, I'm not ever afraid to drop an, an F-bomb or two. No, I I think there's a lot to already get into with this. Like why, why we feel comfortable saying it on a public forum. Anyways... So let's let's get into what yeah, we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so so on our last podcast, Dog and I kind of at the end of our podcast got into uh, censorship, and we only we had to we had to cut the podcast because we we both looked at each other and said, "Hey, we got something here for a full another podcast." So let's save you know time and effort and bring this into this one so that we could really kind of do a deep dive into pop culture censorship as it exists. Today in our lives, we're, we're almost going to kind of do like a timeline today to walk us through examples of stuff that we've seen in the media, as well as stuff that we've experienced ourselves throughout our lives um, and what influence the, either the FCC or any type of governing you know, censorship bodies have had on our experiences with pop culture. So essentially, it's going to be a life timeline of uh, a, a jerk's experience with censorship. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun researching this. I, I kind of did two, two forms of research. One, just to kind of think of, you know, examples that, that we've had either growing up or even in current times um, when, you know, we've just seen obvious or new forms of censorship or new things that, that we've noticed that have, that, have got, that have either been let through or firmed up. And then another thing was it just kind of did a little bit of a history of like the FCC and like past examples in history and over throughout time of what were like kind of like some of the monumental things where the FCC had to be involved um, or just just in general, any type of governing body had to make a decision based off of a certain event. So I don't know where you want to start, but I have a couple. No, I, well, all right, let's start off the bat by saying we're both super excited about this. And I think you can tell in that we're super eager. Um, but so to give a quick structure of the podcast, we're going to start with 1985 when Phil was born and I was so, born in 1990. So it's, so it's essentially like the last 30, 35 years and uh, of censorship and in pop culture and how essentially it's affected us at the very base level of the consumer and, and as the fan of the art. Yeah. So I think 1985 is a good place to start, actually, just just by chance. I know that's what we we're trying to do. But as I was reading through stuff online, I'm just flipping through my notes here. 1985 was when the parental advisory sticker yep. was was created. Uh, well, no, no, no. So, hang on, I got this. So okay. the, the the parental advisory warning was created in 85, but the actual sticker itself, the black and white one as we know it, actually came out in 1990. Perfect. When, and when I was born. So, yeah. So, no, this podcast is definitely going to be focusing on these these periods of censorship. And I think... 85 to 90 was definitely like a period, you know, of, of course, starting off our lives, but also, you know, that aligns with this, this era of, of heavy censorship in terms of at least heavy in the public eye. Uh, yeah. And there's these new forms of censorship. Yeah. And it's just um, another layer too of the government getting involved. So like the, the leader of all this was Tipper Gore. 
Um, and then there's this group I saw called the Parents Music Resource Center or something like that. The PMRC. I'd never heard of them before, but it was basically like a group of angry moms and dads who wanted to the government to step in to censor music. Or yeah, and we and so what we you know our personal evidence that is is I mean there's a lot of it actually you know we were both again into hip hop into rap into heavy metal I was into Marilyn Manson there there's uh you know a lot of of quote unquote provocative artists who talk about some you know some you know questionable subject matter who we you know just being typical kids from the suburbs had a crazy affinity for and, and just a real fixation on. Right. So, so this was like the parental advisory CD, although, you know, I was being born as it was being, you know, put out really kind of came into, I mean, it, it, it wove its way into normalcy and culture to the point where, you know, a lot of, you know, artists, you know, it's like, it was like it's an R rating essentially. Yeah. That, like, no, it, it, I think someone on MTV, I can't remember who it was as I was reading through said that this is actually a good thing for artists because once you see, once kids like in this MTV era, so that, that's another thing I want to bring in later during the eighties, the MTV was just in its, in its prime and its boom. Um, this label is almost something that's going to up your sales because someone sees that and go, Oh, okay, this is something I shouldn't be listening to. I want to listen to it even more. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it, it really did target us in, in a different type of, in a more, in a, it targeted our curiosity and like this, this thing we weren't supposed to be doing. But so, so although they would slap the label on in places like New Hampshire, there is no law against, uh, there's no aid right. for restrictions for people buying. So I could go into a store one of the first CDs I bought was a corn CD that was K O R N that was uh, uh, you know, parental advisory. And I was maybe 10, nine, maybe nine or eight years old or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, that was your, that was your first CD that you bought. I never knew. So my first CDs were no doubt tragic kingdom yeah. was corn yeah, was actually a single and it was, it was called Adidas All Day I Dream About Sex. <laughs> and it was a single. So I remember singles as yeah, well. Yeah, so, I remember there's a bunch was, of good remixes on that album too. I remember you having that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So those were some of my first ones. But yeah, um, uh, no doubt the Tragic Kingdom did not have the, the marker but uh, of the parental advisor. But it certainly stimulated our curiosity. And again, there was no there was no law against it in New Hampshire, at least. And I remember some of our cousins when they had come up to visit, like Mike Milagrano, we'd, we would go to the store and he'd be like, wow, I, I can buy all these CDs. So he would, you know, he would, he would get them while he was up in New Hampshire. Live, live for your die. Adult, live for your die, baby. As we were doing that, the adults were going to the tax-free liquor store. You know, my, the kids were getting parental advisory CDs and, the teenagers were getting fireworks and then the adults were getting tax-free booze. But, but I personally, I, I personally prefer Polar. But. <laughs> oh, wow. Early for the Polar call. Mm. You must be, you must be parched, Doug. I'm thirsty. I'm excited about this, but let, let's, let's get into it. So again, the, all right. The first era of our lives aligned up with this parental advisory CD uh, marking. Um, so, you know, for all you kids, 
before you, before the streaming era, before downloading music, before any of this, you had to buy, the, the only way to, to get it was to listen to it on the radio, which it would be edited on the radio. But to, to get the real thing, um, you had to buy the CDs. Yep. And so Phil and I both had books of CDs mm -hmm. that were your, ar arguably our most valuable possessions. Right. And we'd have like mom or dad drive us out. Like this is before we could even drive and go to like the mall or strawberries or Sam Goody or Newberry comics. That was another thing that was back in the day. Like there was so many more, there were so many different outlets to go get music. Whereas now, you know, you just, you just stream it or buy it online. But anyways, we'd go out there and they'd be with us, but we would have quote unquote our own money to go spend on these CDs that, I don't think they realized what was what we were buying until we actually no. got home and so, listened to them. So, and and here is where the anecdotal evidence comes in of censorship and how it like really was reverberant in like the home of, of the suburbs, like within the family. You know, all right. So you and I both we would go out and buy our parental advisory CDs, but there was this huge like when we were maybe ninety six, ninety seven. I guess we're getting into this second era but like when we were starting to buy parental advisory cds we would bring them home and when mom finally found out she would either banish them or some some parents were snapping cds some of our friends and uh you know it, it was like this huge uh occurrence of all of a sudden parents starting to snap cds and to to you know to essentially it was like a it was like this moral crusade yeah. essentially against some of these artists like yeah it was, there it was kind of like the second era of parents like so we were mentioning in like 85 they were more worried about back then artists like prince and two live crew and who was d snyder d snyder was like the lead oh, the reason you, you did your wikipedia research i see <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it was all those bands and this was like the second era of that with marilyn manson was like it was like kind of like a Back then, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In the new one, in the newer era, it was still sex, but it was there was also kind of like the satanic thing. And I think Marilyn Manson was kind of like the face that scared parents. Yeah. And Marilyn Manson, White Zombie, Rob Zombie. I mean, which Rob Zombie? I mean, there's again Corn. There was you know, there's whole like um, actually the whole Family Values crew. You remember the the Family Values tour? Of course. Which was it was it was seriously if you if you uh, I, I have watched some documentaries with Jonathan Davis and and Fred Durst and all these guys and they'll talk about the debauchery and drug use and crazy shit that went on and it was yeah it was it was borderline you know some there was some borderline stuff going on but anyways but being being a kid in in, in this in this era of you know just bringing it home and listening to them, you know, not doing any harm, but just it being a part of our lives. I think we're, we're, we're going to, this is going to be a common trend throughout this podcast is like this whole call and response almost from like these, these social backlashes to, you know, um, people like Marilyn Manson and Eminem and NWA. And like, so there's this all like what you can and can't talk about in art. I mean, I think there's these eras where the like again, there's the the there's these minor steps taken, but it's really the 
the parents who are reaching, you know, yelling out saying we're against this. And then the kids are like, Oh yeah, we like this even more. So I think all that still exists today. It's just in a different, it's just in a different form. And I think that they're relying less on government to make that call. It was, it's. Well, I think, I think we're going to get there, you know, because something we didn't talk about in the beginning here is, is obviously we're in a time right now where censorship is a big topic. Right. And but it looks so much lot... different than it did back then, though. It looks so much different. Exactly, exactly. And, and But this is why the eras, I think, are important and why there's this whole progression of censorship and, like, what it actually is. So okay. I think... So, where, like, so, so I think we just went on a little rant right there, but where, where on the timeline are we right now? We're, we're, we're like, 97. So, okay. like, okay. So, essentially, where I, my mind is at... Slim Shady LP is coming out. Um, you know, okay, so, you know, guys like NWA, Dr. Dre, and The Chronic, um, they paved the way, same with Marilyn Manson. 97, 98, there's this huge, 97 through 99, there, it, it, there's a lot going on, not only in music, but in, in television and in movies too. So, uh, yeah, so in my mind, Slim Shady LP coming is coming out. The world is finding out of who Eminem is, and there is this huge, huge aversion from parents mm-hmm. and this huge attraction from kids. And like, there's this. What is this character? You know what I mean? And and I want to ask you why you think that is. Well, what 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 about Eminem set everybody off? Well, I think you know. I think it's a race thing. I think that it's, this is the first white guy who's who's on the on the screen that maybe looks like their son or daughter and now is saying all this stuff. And then, and this is, this is the aversion to it. This is, it makes it a little bit more uh, real to white suburbia that, you know, there's a role model who's doing something like this. I think he actually has a song called role models. Yeah, definitely. It's a great song. No, but, but he, I mean, he is talking about, I mean, Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde 97 and Kim, those are two songs about murdering his wife. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's pretty, like, an intimate song about. So that's why I think the difference, yes, you're right, as race has something to do with it, but I think it's the subject matter, too. He was talking about drugs. He was talking about, uh, and this isn't justifying any of this. This is just what was happening. He was talking about drugs and rape and, like, all this violence. And there was, there was a lot of racy but, stuff. But he wasn't so the go first one. The, he wasn't the first one to be doing all that. Like, The Chronic came no, out in, no. like, 92 or something like that. But, it, but, you're, but you're right. But it was the perfect storm of, of you know, him being, like, this, quote-unquote, role model figure. But also the subject matter going along with it forced people to, to deal with, like, what are, how are we going to censor this? Yeah. Um, and, and, and at the same time, what was going on on television was South Park. So South Park came out, what, 97? I believe it was around the same exact time. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, right around 95, 94. I mean, it, it was kind of, it kind of grew from the internet into like their first episodes, which are right around 95, yeah. But I mean, again, South Park w- was, was something that was in our lives, but it wasn't the first time like the FCC had... It was just another. Cha- it was just another chapter. So, um, I think we, on our past podcast, this is what got us going. We were talking about the night of a million shits. Um, oh yeah. yeah. So I look back and I'm like, okay, so who? Where did this stem from? How did people? You know, how did South Park think to do this episode? There was an episode in 1999 on this show called Chicago Hope, where they aired the first shit. 
like the first use of the word shit. It was like after 10 p.m. It was all coming. And I think that that's where it stemmed, it stemmed from. Um, and then South Park just went way overboard. They go, okay, they, these guys can do it. Now we're really going to do it. And I think they mentioned the word shit or wrote it out in, in 200 times in that episode. I think they, they yeah. even had like the dial in like the bottom left hand corner counting yep. how many yeah. times. No, they just like it was almost like a celebration of being able to say shit. But but they weren't the first. Like, so let me. I, I know we're kind of moving all back and forth on the timeline, but these these guys weren't the first. The first cartoon that was under, in, at least in my lifetime, that was under scrutiny from the FCC. There was, and I always thought this was a wives' tale, but there was there was an instance of in Beavis and Butthead. Where Beavis goes around and goes fire, fire, you know, he 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 starts doing all that, and this is when they were back when they were in prime time. Some kid burned his house down and said, "Oh, I saw it on Beavis and Butthead." And then the FCC had a freaking field day with that. Beavis and Butthead, MTV was was fined up the yin yang. Like Be- Beavis and Butthead was moved till after eleven o'clock. Like this, so this wasn't the first time. South Park wasn't the first time that people were or the FCC had to step in, or any type of government had to step in and, and regulate when people could watch these shows? No, I think in, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Beavis and Butthead and in, in, uh, King of the Hill and uh, Simpsons, all, all of those came before South Park. Um, but uh, I think for in our lifetime, I remember South Park being like the one show to really kind of like it was the Eminem essentially um, on TV and that it was like, it was almost provocative for provocative sake, you know, like just for being provocative sake. Uh, I, it, 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 it seemingly, you know, but you and I both quote South Park constantly. It has like long lasting value and it's just, it, what it is, is satire. And, and I think there's also this crazy power of doing it. And you touched on it for a second doing it as a cartoon. So you could never touch the subject matter that they're doing unless they were doing it with a cartoon. First right. off, they're using kids to, to get across these crazy, you know, these crazy ideas, but uh, in, in topics, but, and also the execution. I mean, like the, the execution of, of, of some of the stuff, like you could only pull it off in a cartoon. And I think that, probably gives them way more wiggle room when it comes to the FCC. I think so, yeah. Uh, Family Guy is the same same thing. I mean, this is a couple years before the... Um, or no, this is a couple years after, sorry, the Night of a Million Shits. But Family Guy kind of pushed the envelope as well. They, they were canceled a couple of times, not necessarily because of any particular episode, though people turned back to the Wish Upon a Weinstein episode... Um, which was deemed a little bit anti-Semitic. That was cleared up, but it was just too much for for a, a, a cable network or a basic cable network like Fox to just stick their neck out for Family Guy. So they got canceled. You said The Simpsons. I couldn't really find any any like real like one or two things with The Simpsons, but I mean definitely like Bart Simpson was like introduced like the rebellious or continued the rebellious skateboard culture that... Sure. No, I don't I don't remember, uh, and, and that's why I didn't br- I bring up South Park as opposed to The Simpsons, because although they had, you know, they were channeling that rebellious teenager or young, young in culture, I don't think they ever pushed the boundaries like South Park did. I, 
I think very few did. I mean, you touched on Mike Judge and Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. Like, the, all those shows, all right, so, like, there's this, um, those were, you know, adult cartoons, and we uh, they really hadn't, you hadn't seen that yet. Yeah. And then South Park took it to the next level. It's like, oh, we're an adult cartoon, but we are, like, talking about, like, the grittiest in, like, we're not holding anything back. Mm-hmm. Like, and they didn't. And, and the way they could get away with that is being in cartoon. I think that is a huge, huge, you know, part of it. But I, I think, and then the next era, which 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 a lot of the stem to is like you touched on, it, is like this whole late night TV era, which yeah, that seemed to be everyone's resolve for for if something was controversial or if something they didn't want kids to watch it. We're like, okay, you know, why don't we just settle on just toning it down a little bit and you can air you know you can have a little bit more flexibility if you air it after 10 o'clock so that seemed to be the the time that that after that if you were on a on a basic cable channel or if you are an extended cable cable channel the reins were loosened up a little bit well and then there started to be shows that were specifically only showed after 10 o'clock like i think strangers with candy was one of them and then there's like the whole adult swim network and like some of those you know just weirder racier just more gory type of cartoons or claymation type stuff um and and then you know those those got such a a cult following of of people who were just up late watching the weirdest stuff and they're like wow this is this stuff is funny like and there was this huge demand for it at the same time the internet is coming out and, and we're talking about early 2000s now. We're coming into 99, 2000s. And at the same time, the internet is coming into prominence. And and there's this, there's late night television happening where there's, you know, more skit oriented stuff or just like more or ideas are happening. At the same time, there's, you know. Uh, Chappelle show. You know, there's Saturday Night Live's taking it to a new level. Like Saturday Night Live actually has kind of pushed the envelope but because it was on so late I don't think that there was much aversion there's no internet too so like kids couldn't go wake up and watch Saturday Night Live they're usually long in bed so I think that they were starting to do stuff that kind of reverberated through like what you're talking about the skit comedy that we see in a Chappelle show that we see now in like a Kay and Peel or like a what else was was skit television back then like um, boys, in the, I mean, was it was not boys in the hood? Boys in the hall. Oh, remember that Canadian show? Yeah, that bo- Canadian bo- show. Yeah, yeah. Boys in the hall, Mad TV, um, uh, in living color, stuff like that was was like skit television. In living color, yeah, right. Jim Carrey and Jamie Fox and the Wayans Brothers, and yeah, late, late night television that was skit based. That you know, they might be able the the. It was break. It, it translates well now because you can kind of watch skits on YouTube and stuff. But I think back then, rather than getting a whole show canceled, they could take out a skit and replace it with something else if the FCC thought that it was, or whoever was governing it thought that it was too racy. So, but there became this massive, more and more of a demand for stuff like that. I mean, we we've done a whole podcast on Jackass as well, which was happening around the same time. Um, and there was just these, this huge demand for this more racy content. And if if they weren't going to find it, if people weren't going to find it during their primetime television, they were starting to be able to find, find it on the internet or just, you know, wait till, you know, there was these, again, these little community, cult communities, cult followings of these, of these, um, of these shows. Um, 
these late night television shows. And I'm, and I'm glad you touched on Chappelle's show too. I think that's a really important line for what could and couldn't be talked about. Um, not only is it some of the best lasting comedy that there is, some of that stuff is still hilarious, but it also was, it pushed the boundary in censorship, like, like what you could and couldn't say. Yep. For, for and, you know, Dave would probably argue, was it for the better or for worse? You know, it's, that's arguable. But that's, you know, I'll leave that to him, of course. Um, but so at, I, at the I, same time... I, I want you to, I, I want to go back just real quick too. Like you were saying people were finding it on the internet back in that early 2000s area. I don't think that that was happening quite yet. That was still the DVD area or the, the, the um, DVD era. And what I, what I mean by that is instead of seeing a parental advisory sticker, we were starting to see box sets where you said, where it said uncensored, not seen on TV. So it was, a, it was incentive to buy box sets, even though you had already seen this stuff so that you could see the, the unedited or the unedited versions, the director's takes, bloopers, all that stuff. So that was just like another way that censorship on TV was something that was preventing us from seeing the real art. And then they'd sell it to us by, it's just the same thing as a parental advisory sticker, uncensored. They would make sure that that was front and center on some of the, like on Jackass, on Dave Chappelle, on South Park, so that you, you felt like you were watching something unfiltered. Even, you're right, uh, Chappelle's show is marketed that way. And I think I got you... I got you a South Park season like every year for almost for 10 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, and there was, there was, there was always this, this, um, raw and marketing. uncut. I think one of them said raw and uncut on top of yeah. one of those seasons. It, it was, it was absolutely, I mean, even the jackass has a, a skull and crossbones on the front. I mean, it's, it's, it's straight up, it's taking that I, rebellious nature and selling it. It's packaging it. Definitely. And it, and you, it, there's, again, it worked against people like Tipper Gore who are trying to you know, somehow preserve the, the whatever, morality of our teenagers. And, they, and instead, it created this new wave of marketing that targeted teenagers. Right, even right. More so so, so their, their, their brand was something that would scare them, thinking that it would scare us. The black and white parental advisory, the skull and crossbones, when really... It, they were screwing themselves because that's the type of stuff that we would be avert or that would we would be attracted to. Um, exactly. So it was, and, it was just and, kind of funny and, how that worked. Uh, to a point you were putting before, the stuff was ha there was um, these videos in, in access on the internet. South Park started out as an internet video, like the first Christmas episode or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is was an internet video that got viral. Was one of the first viral videos that got passed around. Mm -hmm. um so there, that stuff definitely still happened but it wasn't until like the 2000s maybe maybe later to that or mid 2000s that like stuff like youtube like viral videos really started to make a difference but um aligned with the, the introduction of the internet before we even got access to free television and stuff like that we had free music for a while like oh, yeah. like so I think this is an important part of censorship in maybe moving into the next era from like maybe 2000 to 2008 or so. Maybe uh, there was this huge, there was uh, first off Napster, Kazaa, mm -hmm. okay. LimeWire, um, all of these different, these were music services 
that you could download the any song you wanted down to your computer. Mm-hmm. And Phil and I would literally wait hours <laughs> for songs. So we had, right, we had our ping pong table and be like, oh, I want to hear that new Dave Matthews song or that new, that old, whatever. I think I remember downloading I Have a Tiger. You'd hit download. Then you and I would go play five or six ping pong pong <laughs> matches while, the, yeah, while yeah. one song downloaded for that long. And if, that was so much better than having to go to the store and pay for it. Right, exactly. So, well, well, what it was, it was piracy. Like, what it, it really was illegal downloading of other people's art so well, sure, but no but no but okay in all right so that was the the era of censorship there was all these these bands that were like we want you to pay for our music and they just it wasn't a good look although it's understanding great guys is. like lars lars Ulrich, who were worth metallica who were worth millions and millions complaining about the not getting paid for their art while like they're not struggling musicians by any means. No, but um, I'm, I would be. I understand their gripe. I definitely understand their gripe. Like this is our livelihood, to, even though it's, it's lavish. It's like of, you're you're t- you're tapping into this illegally. Illegally, the natural. But it's been the natural progression of again the introduction of the internet. We were gonna find a way. All right. So after those sites. All right. So why there were so many Napster because it. Napster, then Kazaa, then LimeWire, then whatever, Fruity Bear, or whatever the heck it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, they eat, they kept getting taken down. Like, there was some loophole they would go through, and then they kept getting taken down. But people would find a way, because then when I was in college, then it was BitTorrents. So then you were downloading BitTorrents from sites and whole, and whole mm-hmm. albums and stuff like that. And then they just got to a point where they said, we can't stop this, so we're just going to make something like Spotify. So now, instead of instead of um, stopping us from doing that, they're marketing it to us. They're like, we know you're just going to find every single song that you want to anyways, so pay us 13 a month, and we'll just give it to you. Who's the us? Like, Who's the us in this? So you, it's, it, you're, you're almost, it almost sounds like the us is the people who were getting screwed before now saying collectively under getting screwed. All right, I'm not really worried about big corporations getting screwed and I think no the artist dog I'm talking about the artist here like who is the who's the, the artist is still getting screwed you, that's not like a new that's not an old occurrence like there's a short window of time where artists were probably getting paid right and that's from like the 70s until like mid 90s or early 90s and then then really start people start getting taken okay. advantage with right. like single culture and I'm, shit. I'm stop, I'm stopping you there because we're talking about censorship, not artists getting screwed. I just wanted to know when you said pay us the money, who is that to you? Who like who is the us that you're referring to? What do you mean? In terms of give us the money, it's the people who are willing to put up the money for the copyrights as well. So that's another a form of censorship and that was i think more in 2010s uh and coming on is copyright infringement and being able to and now especially now with the algorithms and shit it's copyright uh infringement is the new form of censorship is a newer form of censorship so like you know i played bass on an instagram thing recently to a door song and it got removed immediately because because uh, it was so spot on but uh but but seriously it's it's you know that's a different type of censorship that we're we're getting into and who it's the owner of the copyright so spotify the folks who own spotify and anchor who then own anchor who are broadcasting through here 
um, they're the ones who own the content, the copyright yeah. ability, the, the ability to access yeah. the. So that's weird because I remember I remember you getting flagged for playing what was it like a Doors song or something on yeah. on Instagram yeah. and you posted it, but yet what we do on this podcast sometimes, especially when we have a music episode, we're I'm nervous about it. To be honest, I'm like I'm waiting for the day. I mean, the only the only thing I can can surmise from it is that there's just so much content out there that they can't even be bothered with someone small like us. Like, I mean, not to, not to, put, right. not to put your Instagram account, but I mean, you don't exactly have a million followers. Like how, no, what do you think? What do you, what do you think that that was? Do you think that that was a random thing that they just happened to find? Was it an, it if, be, it's, it if it's an algorithm, fun. if it's an algorithm, it then, could be, it could be some, you know, bitter old ex who just wants to get me in trouble or some, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in reality, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's the algorithm. It's AI. It's picking up, if there's, there's, uh, there's a, something that's picking up tones and exact tones and they're like, oh, no, they, and they flagged it. That's, I don't really? think that's so happening do, necessarily on Spotify. So if, if you, if you were to go and do that exact same thing right now, are you certain that you'd be caught again? Well, all right. So how about this? I, I just before my show the other day, I tried to post a me using my looping pedal, and it was a I was doing a Peter Bjorn and John song called Young Folks, and the the thing would just not let me upload it to my story. No matter how how many times I tried. So what I did is I I chopped it up, and I had the middle of the song play first, and then the the, the loop come right after. Anyways, I, I had to chop it up, but I don't know if that was the AI or the algorithm or what. I really don't know. But that's 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 what's scary is I, yeah. I don't know if I'm being censored or if I you know you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know and what you mean. I, I just I am worried about that about this podcast someday that we're gonna have like so I've reached out to Corey Wong who the uh, you know is our uh, intro. intro. Yep. Corey Wong does our intro and that starting line. It's a great song, and I've reached out to him and tried to say, "Hey, uh, we uh, we use this and just check it out, but we don't make money or anything, so I can't imagine it'd be a problem." But still, I, I've at least attempted to because I'm. It's such a good match that I would hate to lose that one day, you know? Yeah, I, I just I just don't understand why that why you got flagged. You played an Instagram story of you just riffing on a Doors song. Yeah, and I and at that point, I don't think I was even making money playing music. Right, and, oh, and so co but compared to what we have, which is clearly, if it, if there's algorithms out there, it's unfiltered. Corey Wong, that actual song, like so, if there's a wavelength that's c catching stuff, why did your Doors song get flagged, and why don't we get flagged? I, I don't I mean, understand it's that. The same way, well, it's the same way. It's whoever is the owner of the content can enact different uh, protections. So, like, whoever owns the Doors or Jim Morrison's content is like. Crazy protective, just like whoever I'm sure owns the Beatles content, like was crazy protective of it for a long time. Which was Michael Jackson. I think that that's. I'm pretty sure the Beatles stuff is is public now. When once he died, but could be wrong. Right, right, right. Anyways, so I mean, I think we're now up to the we're as far as the timelines considered, we're up to the current day, and I think we mentioned this on our last podcast, but now there's just so many platforms for content and pop culture it's not just cable it's not just the radio anymore it's not just cds there are 
for, for every Spotify, there's an Apple Music. There's, there's so many platforms and seemingly every single one has its own rules or no rules at all. I mean, Netflix, there is no editing on Netflix other than there, there are now these things for each device that allows you parents to actually take the censorship into their own hands by putting it on kid mode. By YouTube has this too. They, you can lock a filter in so that when your kids are using it, only kid-friendly uh, you know, content is available. So I, have, I don't know if you've ever uploaded anything to YouTube. You have. What's one of the questions that they ask you that's mandatory to fill out? Is this safe for children? You have yeah. to now edit that. And now parents, whether it's on their iPad, whether it's Netflix, whether it's Disney, whether there's so many platforms out there now have specific controls where it's taken out of, say, the Tipper Gore's hands and it's put in in the hands of individual parents. And I think that that's how, at least from for, for kids, that's how they're censored today. So I'm just trying to think, like, if you and I lived in this era today, like, would we just automatically know every password mom and dad had and just kind of reverse them? Or, like, how do you think kids are getting around that today? Or are they? Are they even? Kids are – I feel like kids are just better than us than we were back in the day. But Well, yeah, they they grew up with it. I mean, they had their formative years and core, learned core stuff through this technology, you know, this touchscreen technology that – we're still kept coming to grasp it. So how would we react to it? I mean, we'd probably find a way around it. And then, you know, you know, just as kids, I'm sure are doing a little bit, but there's certainly as a parent, there's these days, there's certainly like a bunch of skills in terms of like monitoring what your kids have to do. Cause like, I'm sure, you know, especially if they're going to have a phone, uh, there's, you know, there's certain limits that you have to use. I, I think our, our parents had that option very it would very limitedly sell or it would, you know. Right. The only thing I can think of is if, if you wanted us to drive or if you wanted us to have a CD that didn't have swears on it, you, they would drive us to Walmart. Walmart was the one spot where you couldn't get a parental advisory CD. You could get an edited version of everything. And I, I think that's one of the first times I remember is like wanting to go out and buy some sort of album. I don't know if it was an Eminem or whatever. But getting it and bringing it home from Walmart and noticing that all the squares weren't there, I go, what? What did I just buy? And realizing that, yeah, there are certain, there are now certain stores like a Walmart, maybe like a Caldor was another one or Kmart, that they only they they tried to keep things family friendly by only selling non uh, non sweared CDs or edited CDs. Do you remember this? Yeah, of course. I mean, I I don't think I think still to this day Walmart won't sell parental advisory CDs or. But although they'll sell R-rated movies, so I, I don't know if I, I was more talking about in terms of the internet, like when ni Windows ninety five and when AOL was coming around, like mom and dad could give us a small, like a kid's account, quote unquote. But it was still like, like it was we still found a way, like you said, into their passwords or like, like you know, you know, we were basically teaching them how to monitor right. us. You exactly. know, like, yeah, this was so like, new to them that they didn't even know how to put on the parental parental things. I, and even then, back then, it wasn't like it was, the internet was just such the wild west back then, and it still kind of is. It's just hard to just deem every single site. Like, like right now, the FCC has, is when I was looking, they have, they are controlling our internet, but it, it's just how do you do that? Like right now, you and I could, right. could create a, a page 
that's available and you know that there's just infinite amount of content out there i think it would just be so hard to regulate right now well and i think that's why you know to bring it to today why there's this huge you know um Se- like almost self-governing uh, yeah but there's also like this like there's this fight towards freedom of speech but like we're we're in this transitionary phase of what is speech because the internet like is this like you said it's the wiki wiki wow west and it, it really just we don't quite know and i think that governing bodies like the fcc uh they can't take responsibility for something they don't even know yeah, it's the a, impact it's, of. A, it's they impossible really, i think it's an impossible task but the, it like, really is it's what i started it's to, emerg- go ahead sorry about when, that what i started to say was that I think that we're now seeing there's there are mobs of people, internet people who just spend their entire lives online searching for people, celebrities mainly, and then you know you know things that are looked at in uh, large groups, and they're and they're the ones who are calling this out. Like I feel like every day, so I start my day with coffee and I watch uh, I, I catch up on sports, and one of the top five stories is always some some broadcaster or some coach. Or some player saying the wrong thing that maybe was just in a an after a regular season game, but it's made big because there's there's this sector of the internet that just searches for these things and tries to either cancel them or call them out on their on their indiscrepancies. And I, I don't know who so, this I don't know who this team is, but I would say once a week someone's getting in trouble for saying something in a press conference that maybe back in the day like would just be on deaf so, ears. It's this, this as I would refer to the beginning of the po- podcast, it's this social call and response. It's, you know, right now, it, it's who controls the narrative. And before it was, you know, Tipper Gore was the second lady. So, you know, it was the, the wife of our vice president for eight years. And, you know, that re- she really, you know, and before her was Nancy Reagan, who, you know, they had the whole, the war on drugs. So... Uh, it really is who, who's in possession of the moral narrative, and right now the the people seem to be in that, and and that's taking the form of the internet, which is just a trash bin of ideas, and there's no way to stop it. Got my stapler, got my shirt and tie. Set me up to zone out. All right, guys, we're gonna stop it right here and just call this one part one. As you can tell, we have a lot to say about censorship. Uh, So we're going to put this in a two-parter that will be released later this week. Uh, So thanks for listening and be on the lookout for part two.